last Sunday, so special to be with you all on Easter, and thank you just for your hospitality, for showing up, for being a part of this place and making this such a special place in our city. So grateful. And I don't know about you, but I leave Easter uh, just motivated and excited and desiring God more deeply. I leave Easter uh, with this, you know, this place, uh, especially the second service, having been so full and so many voices singing together, and I feel so encouraged and uplifted and reminded again of this larger story that we live in of death and resurrection. Uh, and then a day or so later, I walk in the house and I see the little socks on the kitchen floor. I don't know why the socks are always on the kitchen floor. The little five-year-old socks, I, I don't know why they don't go in the laundry basket like we've talked about so many times before. I don't know why the five-year-old socks have to come off every time we walk in the house and why they can't just stay on the feet. And um, I am irritated about the socks. And I'm mad about the socks. And, you know, he may be risen indeed, but... <laughs> My need for control bubbles right on up to the surface of my life once again. Anybody with me? <laughs> Following God in the way of Jesus is not about projecting an image of perfection. It is not about having your act all together. We actually come to God not by doing it right, we come to God by doing it wrong and receiving his grace. We grow in God, not through being perfect, but through messing up and receiving his grace time and time and time again. We have a crisis, though, in the church today. Ask any crowd of Christians... Do you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior? And that crowd, everybody's going to say yes. Ask that same crowd, do you live like Jesus? And most hands are going to go down. Why is this? Why is it so hard to bridge the gap between belief and real life? between Easter Sunday and my attitude when I see the socks on the floor. Dallas Willard says this, we always live up to our beliefs, but rarely up to what we profess. We always live up to our beliefs, that's what we actually live out, but rarely up to what we profess. And survey after survey reveals that there is actually very little difference between professing Christians and the rest of the world. In fact, just this past week on Wednesday, Christianity Today published an article written by a professor at the University of Illinois. He researched how kind people are, how altruistic people are from various religious or non-religious affiliations. So in the first graph... In this article, this is a little bit hard to see, but basically he measures different religious or non-religious affiliations 
around things like allowing someone to cut in line. How likely is a person of no religion to do that? A person of another faith, Jewish, Catholic, black, Protestant, mainline, and evangelical were the categories. How likely are people from these categories to carry someone's bag for them? Or to give blood or to give directions? Or to give extra money back or to volunteer for a charity or to give up their seat? Or to watch someone's house? Or to loan an item? The summary graph of all of these looks something like this second graph. And this is his summary statement in the article. He says this, the biggest takeaway from the graph is there is no real difference in how many acts of altruism occur among people of faith versus those who have no religious affiliation. You could take this one of two ways. On one hand, yay for humanity. On the other hand, would we expect that following a person like Jesus, day in and day out, might result in a different-looking life? In other research, we learn religious and non-religious people have similar rates for domestic violence, for money spent on porn, for a similar rate for giving, financially, even with all those sermons on tithing. Like Christians uh, are reported to give 2.6% of their income compared to 2.4% for everybody else. So some of you are thinking right now, like, seriously, all of those like hellfire and brimstone sermons that I heard growing up, that only results in like 0.2% difference? Amazing. Jesus said this, by their fruit you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And today, we are kicking off this new series. We're talking about what does it mean to be apprenticed, not by religion, but by Jesus. And to do that today, we're going to talk about three things. The biggest lie Christianity has told, apprenticeship, and being odd. Christianity may be in crisis, but the kingdom of God is not. Christianity in this country may be in crisis, may be in trouble, but the kingdom of God is not in trouble, is not in crisis. And hope begins by telling the truth. The truth is, we have bought into a lie that says being a Christian is about praying a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. We've bought a lie that says being a Christian is about believing the right doctrines up here, end of story. You could call this easy believism. Easy believism says being a Christian is about professing belief in correct doctrine. Here's the thing. It is possible, it is prevalent, that people who say they believe such correct doctrines actually live in contradiction with them. I'm one of them. Like, I can sing about 
the love of God all morning with you all and turn around and ignore my neighbor all afternoon. I can preach to you and profess that God is number one, ought to be number one, and I can turn around and make myself number one all week, make my security number one all week, make mine and my own people number one all week. We often profess what we do not really believe because what we really believe is what we live day in and day out. See, there is orthodoxy and there is orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is what you believe, you say you believe. Orthopraxy is what you live out every day. And if your orthodoxy and our orthodoxy is not resulting in an orthopraxy that looks like the fruit of God's Holy Spirit, if our orthodoxy is not producing in our lives the orthopraxy of God's Holy Spirit, meaning if our lives are not more full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, that might be American religion, but that's not the way of Jesus. What does it look like to be apprenticed, not by religion, but by Jesus? Dallas Willard calls this problem in the church, church vampire Christianity. A little bit morbid, but he calls it vampire Christianity. He says this, we want just a little blood for our sins, enough for eternal life, but not a total transfusion of Jesus' life and character. He says, we certainly don't want to hang around with Jesus all the time. He says, it is rare to find someone who wants so badly to be transformed that they will pay the price, whatever it is. He goes on to say, I don't know why conservatives, conservatives and liberals fight so much. He says, after all, both groups actually agree on the same thing, which is this. Becoming like Jesus is too hard to even try, so... Let's instead fight about politics and religion and hymns versus choruses and stay away from the really tough issue actually becoming like Jesus. We must tell the truth. Easy believism, it's not the way of Jesus. Vampire Christianity is not what Jesus taught. Life in the kingdom of God is what Jesus talked about, is what Jesus taught. Life in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is our master, and we are his apprentices, and he is showing us what life in this kingdom of God looks like. Apprenticeship to Jesus is the way. What is apprenticeship? Apprentice, the word, comes from the Latin verb apprende. It means to lay hold or to grasp. So one who lays hold or grasps both the knowledge, yes, but the skills of a particular trade. So back in the day, an apprentice would study with a master, and that apprentice would literally move into the home of the master and be with the master all the time, become like family with the master any questions that rose up, they were right there. They were observing. They were in the presence of the master in the home all the time. Dr. Christopher Perrin said this about apprenticeship. The goal of apprenticeship 
was to gain a comprehensive knowledge of the art of which the master was an expert and to gain superior skills when performing that art. The apprentice would learn by imitating the master, by watching the master, by engaging in conversations and questions with the master. The apprentice would learn very often what would be called mysteries of the trade, like the inside secrets that were unknown to outsiders but were revealed to the apprentice through the master, through the master's life and wise teaching and example. So think about how you think about spiritual growth. Sometimes we call it discipleship. How do you think about that? How do you think about spiritual growth in your own life? Apprenticeship to Jesus is a much-needed correction to how we typically think about this. Because very often, when we think about growing in our faith, we think and talk about two things, programs and information. Nothing wrong with programs and information, so long as they lead to transformation. But we often talk about programs and information, and we are often drawn to programs and information— because we can stay in control. I showed up for the thing. I did the thing. I checked the boxes, so now I can go on and live my life my way. True apprenticeship to Jesus, it doesn't center on a one-time crisis decision. It doesn't center on visiting with the master one time a week for an hour on Sundays. Apprenticeship centers on immersion in the presence of the master, experientially learning to live as he lives, as he does. And Christ is our master, and we are his apprentices. We sit at his feet. We walk with him. We hold the hand of the one whose love for you and I knows no limit every moment of every day. And it's not just so we can gain knowledge about him, but so that we can imitate him, learn to do what he's doing. Jesus said this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Let's talk about those two phrases, fully trained and be like Fully trained in this passage is translated restore, prepare, equip. That's what that means. But there's another place in scripture where that same word for fully trained shows up. And it's interesting because when you hear restore, prepare, equip, you do think uh, there is an instructional aspect to this following God in the way of Jesus thing. But that phrase also shows up when Jesus calls James and John. And when Jesus called them, they were busy, and the scripture says, mending their nets. And that word mending is the same word. Being fully trained under the apprenticeship of Jesus involves more than just learning about him. It also involves our being mended from the inside out by him, with him in his presence. 
And then this phrase, be like. This is like the ultimate goal of following God in the way of Jesus, that we would be made like Christ. And you think of the large story where we're created in original goodness. And then because of the fall, that original goodness is marred, broken. And in Christ, we are restored for better. That that original goodness, the image of God in you, might be reflected to the world around you. Salvation is not about a crisis decision made under duress. It's about entering into a relationship with God, a friendship with God, that begins now and lasts into eternity. An apprenticeship where we are learning how to live life and we're receiving grace on the daily because we're living in the real when control issues like socks on the floor come up, whatever they may be, we're living in the real and we're receiving grace so regularly from our master until it's oozing out of our pores and every fiber of our being. That this God of grace transforms me until you and I become a transformational presence in the world. When I say the word salvation, most people think one-time decision. But what if salvation is a life, a way of living each moment of every day with God? I'm being saved from my self-obsessive way of living. I'm being saved from my anxiety and my compulsions and my addictions. And I'm being saved from my other-oriented obsessions. What other people think about me? Giving away too much say. What if salvation is not so much a one-time decision as a way of living each moment of every day with God? Let's talk about being odd for a minute. Research says followers of Christ are really no different from the rest of the world. But A.W. Tozer would say this, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. Sometimes I don't like talking about this invitation to be odd. Okay, number one, probably because I like people to like me. Number two, though, is because often when we talk about odd, I find the first image that pops up in people's heads is like the guy with the bullhorn on the side of the street screaming super mean things to other human beings and then when asked why I'm being odd for Jesus, can we set aside the mean-spirited bullhorn guy for a minute as we talk about being odd? Let me ask you this. When was the last time you felt odd? Can you think of a time when you felt odd, different, a little out of place? Like For some of you, uh, maybe you grew up is a very simple example, but maybe you grew up in a very small town. And when you came to Denver, 
Compared to your small town, it felt like a big city. And there was a different culture to a small town than there was to a big city. And initially, it felt kind of odd, kind of out of place. But then the thing you realize is you stay in the city long enough, what feels even more odd is going back home. And you sort of like walk into the places and you sort of feel like everyone is saying with their eyes like, she's not from around here. And what's up with the wedge shoes or the loafers? Or the, I mean, there's these cultural differences, right? And sometimes you feel kind of odd. Think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus came to earth from a foreign culture far different than the city and country culture. And he is looking for followers who are willing to exchange their ways, like the culture of this world, the ways of this world, for the ways of his kingdom, the culture of his kingdom. Jesus came to earth looking for folks willing to become a little odd, different from the world, and he's still looking for those people. And it's hard to do. It's hard to live as if you're not from around here. I mean, think, think about just the appeal. Maybe it's no wonder why we search and we're thankful that most religion has the decency to, like, let us off the hook. No need to be too radical. Just, like, pray this prayer and then blend in. Phew! What a relief. Like, who wants to be different? Who wants to be odd? 1 Peter 2.11, Peter says this, We are aliens and strangers in this world. Like, this is not our home. What if our real identity, what if our real identity is not what the world would tell us it is, like typically in the world, right, your real identity is tied up in what you do, who you know, what you have. That's where identity is found. What if your real identity is that you are an unceasing spiritual being with a true home in heaven? And when you start following God in the way of Jesus, you are practicing living in your true home, your real home. And it's kind of odd because it's different than the values of this kingdom in this world. It's a transforming friendship with God. It's learning to resist this pull to dance with the earthly rhythm dances and to begin dancing to like a Trinitarian beat, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm dancing with them. I'm dancing with their values. I'm dancing in that circle. And if that is true, it's going to take a lot more than a one-time crisis prayer to sustain it. It will take an interactive apprenticeship with Jesus where we begin to feel at home in our true homes. That's what following Jesus is all about. See, even if you're not a follower of Christ, even if you would say, I don't, I don't identify as a Christian, everyone's experiencing a spiritual formation no matter who you are, you're being formed spiritually. The question is just who's, who and what is forming you? Am I being more formed 
by the patterns of this world? Or am I being more formed by this Jesus who I follow, by the values of his kingdom? Now, here are some of the ways that life looks odd in God's kingdom. If you are living by the values of this world, your primary consideration is me. If you're living by the values of God's kingdom, your primary consideration is we. If you're living by the values of this world, your driving passion is fear, self-protection, security, take care of myself. If you're living by the values of God's kingdom, your driving passion is love. Help me to love with open arms like you do. Love that erases all the lines, sees the truth. Your primary orientation in this world is pride, but in the kingdom of God, it's humility. Your relationship to God is going to be distant. It's going to be non-existent if you're living in the values of this world. But if you're living in the values of God's kingdom, if you're being apprenticed to Jesus, it's going to be an interactive friendship on the daily Moment by moment, day by day. Not checking boxes once a week or it's all in my control. It's interactive friendship that begins now, lasts into eternity. Our life, is it about living for me and mine or is this a with God life? When Jesus talked about family, it wasn't about bloodlines. He broke down all those walls. Is the condition of my heart willful and determined? That would be living by the values of this world. Or is it willing and obedient to my master, me, the apprentice Jesus? You and I have been invited into this greatest of adventures in life. An apprenticeship for life in God's kingdom. So as we close, I want to just share with you a meditation by A.W. Tozer about being odd. A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen. He talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see. Expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another empties himself in order that he might be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up. He is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, and happiest when he feels worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passeth knowledge. May you and I be a little odd. May we reject a vampire Christianity. And may we be apprenticed by Jesus, not by religion, but by Jesus into life in the kingdom of God. Let's pray together as we close.
Jesus, please teach me how to live well as your apprentice. God, help us to be all that you have created us to be as unceasing spiritual beings with a home that is heaven. No matter how odd it may appear to this world, you know us like nobody else. With you and with only you, God, are we fully known, fully loved, no fear of rejection. You, God, have knit us together in our mother's womb. You want to talk with us and walk with us like you did with Adam and Eve in the garden. And God, we want this too, so very much. Apart from living our lives with you, connected to you like branches in a vine, we can do nothing. But with you, God, all things are possible. So we pray, as the Apostle Paul prayed, let our mind be consumed with yours. May your mind be in us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.